1: Jesus said that the disciples were to take the gospel first to the Jew and then also to the Greek. In other words, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then into the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, they did that, but then they were dispersed. Why were they dispersed? Well, for the same reason that the gospel is dispersed today. Many people reject it. What are we to do then if we understand that the gospel is going to be rejected Many times, if not most of the time, when we present it. Well, that's the question here today. What are we to do? Our guest today says we're never to be ashamed. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for there's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek or the Gentile. But let's suppose that you had been called to speak first to the Jew. What would you do? Let's suppose you went to Israel, and uh, you were going to be the evangelistic uh, enterprise to the Jewish people in this day and hour. What would you do? Where would you start? And what kind of results would you expect? Well, think about this. It's been 2,000 years since Yeshua was on the earth. 2,000 years. How many Jewish people today in Israel are believed to be followers of Yeshua or Jesus? About 12,000. About 12,000. Some would say a little bit more. Some might say less, but about 12,000. Would you consider that a fruitful ministry for 2,000 years? Or would you consider yourself a failure? Well, I guess it depends upon your viewpoint because god never commanded us to create numbers he created he called us to make disciples to teach people to do everything that god had commanded he didn't actually command us to be evangelists he commanded us to make disciples sometimes we get confused sometimes we think that the The problem is that we didn't get a chance to notch our belts enough with somebody making a confession of faith. But was that really the goal that God had in mind? No. That's just the beginning. Is the goal when a baby comes out of his mother's womb, is that the goal for conception? No. That's just the beginning. The rest of it is the hard work, the hard work of raising and training that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So today on Viewpoint, we have a very special guest joining us. His name actually means, well, it has to do with being a father. And that's probably a good name because he has given himself over his lifetime to evangelism, some people would call it, but it's actually to spreading the good news, the gospel. And how do we do that? How do you do it? Are you really a spreader of the gospel? Are we fulfilling the call of Christ in our generation? All of that here today on Viewpoint. And it's going to take us even, yes, even most relevantly to Russia and the Ukraine. You think that makes it relevant, my friend? Well, indeed it does, because that's right on the forefront of our news today. So I welcome Avi Snyder here today on Viewpoint. Uh, his book, Never Ashamed. It's so good to have you, brother. It's good
2: to be with you. Thank you so much for having me.
1: So you want to, you want to believe what the Gentiles believe and still call yourself a Jew? What kind of business is that? (laughs) Sounds like you're a traitor.
2: You're, uh, you're actually quoting my book. Thanks for that. Um uh actually uh it's nice that all of you gentiles have decided to uh to join yourselves to uh to jesus the jewish messiah uh, <laughs> after all he's not told, you know the prophecy in uh in isaiah 4 uh, 49 verse 6 says uh it's a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribe of jacob and to restore the preserved of israel i will also make you a light to the gentiles to the nation yeah so that my salvation may reach you to the end of the earth. Well, isn't God's it plan. interesting
1: that Columbus himself quoted that passage in his diary. It was one of the reasons why he sailed across the ocean blue in 1492.
2: Did he really? I didn't know that. Yes, he did. I didn't know that at all. Well, it's a good passage of Scripture. It's an excellent passage of Scripture. But uh, Jesus is still the Messiah for us Jews, and my Jewish people still need to hear about him.
1: Well, then you would so, be delighted to know and to read my book that's just coming out uh, next month called Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. You ah, are going to be okay. thrilled with that book. It's unlike well, anything else out there and behind the scenes, lurking in the deepest recesses of a mind and heart, Avi were my Jewish brethren uh, realizing that we're on the near edge of the second coming and they're not ready.
2: Mm-hmm. Very true. That's why the gospel has to go out. It has to go out, power. It has to go out without fear or without shame. People need to proclaim the gospel. You know, you said a moment ago something that really resonates with me. You, uh, you talked about, you raised the question of uh, would you consider yourself a failure? And one of the things that, that has motivated me for years and one of the things that I really wish that my brothers and sisters uh in christ in messiah would understand is that we can't fail you know uh we we use a, a worldly definition of failure the scripture says uh paul said uh, uh, that our labor in the lord is never in vain the point is whenever we proclaim the gospel in any fashion whether it's a tract whether it's a conversation whether it's a broadcast like this um whether it's uh a piece of literature left in a hotel room whenever god's message is is put forth and proclaimed in any fashion god is always producing fruit whether we see it or not he's producing the fruit that he wants to bring forth you know we we're conditioned to think that there's only one fruit and that's the fruit of saving faith and that's the fruit that we all want to see but there there's so much other fruit that's produced you know that uh, whether we see it or not there's the fruit of biblical division there's the fruit of of making us more like him when we 're doing what he's doing there's uh there's the fruit of of, of vindicating his name there's so much fruit mm-hmm. and we we cripple ourselves you know we just we just cripple ourselves by thinking that uh gee if if i don 't do it right or if if um if i don't see one particular fruit, then i'm a failure
1: we well the problem fail. with that avi i think is that we have adopted. American, uh, an American view of all of this. And that if you can't measure it by counting the numbers, uh, then you were a failure. And the interesting thing is that discipleship cannot truly be measured. It Uh, it can only be measured by God. The only thing that we think we can measure is people supposedly making it a statement of faith. And then we notch our belts in pride and mm-hmm. uh, count them and report them to our denominational heads to raise yeah. money. So it's it's <laughs> it's a bit of a phony uh, misuse of the gospel uh, that we engage in as Americans. And today on Viewpoint, because I, I believe that we are on the near edge of the second coming, uh, this whole call of Jesus to go and make disciples uh, is... An imperative that cannot be ignored and every single one of us then has to be involved the question is how can we be involved what should we expect as the fruit and indeed uh, whether or not we'll proceed with courage we'll be right back friends stay tuned You can't just keep your opinion to yourself regarding the gospel and expect other people to follow the ways and the word, the will, and the ways of the Lord. No, we can respect other people's points of view, but we have to proclaim the truth. We just have to do it. We have to do it by word and by example. We can't just do it by example. We have to do it by word and example. You know, it's like the show and tell time. The kindergartners go through show and tell so today on viewpoint, our special guest avi Snyder is uh he's an expert. He's been around the horn a very, very long time. He came to the Lord as a Jewish man from a Jewish culture and was shocked that the Holy Spirit could get a hold of him because in his culture they didn't even believe in the Holy Spirit the way Christians do. They believe in the Ruach Kadesh, but it's some sort of a free floating whatever out there, but not a person of the Trinity. So, Avi, how did you come to the Lord as a Jewish man?
2: Well, I'll give you the short version. Um, I was raised in a very, very traditional Jewish home in New York City. And the mm-hmm. fact that I'm Jewish. Has always been central to, to my identity. It still is, of course. You
1: not, well, you know, you weren't one of uh, Rabbi Schneerson's followers, were you? No,
2: I certainly was not. All right. <laughs> um, but by the time I was um, in my early twenties, uh, I defined myself as a Jewish atheist, which is not a contradiction in terms to most of our Jewish people, because however, however we define our Jewishness, it doesn't necessarily have to be religious.
1: Mm-hmm. Anyway.
2: Uh, I, I to which be is probably atheist. shocking
1: to a lot of people that are listening
2: no, yeah, probably so, but then you have to think in in, in Jewish terms right <laughs> in any case um i I called myself an atheist, but it really wasn't i was I was just very angry with God, I was angry because of the Holocaust. I was angry because I thought my life was pointless that that no matter what I might do or accomplish in life ultimately it meant nothing and this this pointlessness of my life it it made me so angry that i literally i literally shook my fist at the ceiling one day and i screamed at god in absolute rage i said how dare you do this to me how dare you create a pointless universe how dare you make my life pointless and then this thought hit me now i didn't hear a voice you know no bells no flashing lights but this this thought was as clear as a voice and the thought was who are you angry at, Avi? I thought you said you were an atheist. <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> and that's you always I shake realize. your fist at the clouds? <laughs> <laughs> right. You, know,
2: I realized, you can't be angry with someone who doesn't exist, you know. Um, so I realized that I wasn't an atheist. You know, Scripture um, scripture has a challenge of people like I was back then. Uh, scripture has a challenge for a lot of people today, people who um, they they. They deny God's existence, but they blame him for everything that's wrong in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that uh, interesting? And, you're very interesting. And the challenge is found in Jeremiah. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found by you. So I took up the challenge. And uh, it was just at that point that God in his grace brought, uh, He brought two types of people into my life. He brought Jews for Jesus into my life, mm-hmm. which was at that time a, a, a new movement, although it was only new in, in modern times. We like to joke and say the Jews for Jesus has been around about 2,000 years. That's anyway, right. Anyway, <laughs> he, brought, he brought the ministry of Jews for Jesus into my life. Well, he did that and by he, a
1: T-shirt, didn't he?
2: He did that by a T-shirt and a track. I was walking down the street uh, in 1975 in New York City, and uh, I saw this young man wearing a, a dark blue shirt with these big white letters on it that said, Jews for Jesus, and I was infuriated. Mm. I thought that this, this, I thought this guy was an absolute cultural traitor. But I took his track anyway, and I kept that track. So God used Jews for Jesus, and he also used a Gentile Christian family who loved me enough to tell me what I needed to know. It just It touches upon what you said a moment ago. You can't be silent. You know, there's so many people today they they think that all all we need to do is is live a life of love live a life of of christian love and that's a sufficient testimony you probably heard it there's a there's a a quote that's bandied about that's ascribed to uh to francis of assisi right quote is um um always be ready to preach the gospel uh if necessary use words well the problem is number one he never said that his biographers deny that that was ever said
1: <laughs> And no, you know <laughs> so much for the truth that will make you free
2: (laughs) really absolutely and on top of that 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 kind of thinking the thinking that all we have to do is live a christian life and that's a sufficient testimony it, it, it 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 betrays an ignorance of the nature of the gospel message you said it a moment ago it's show and tell the gospel is a is a is a gospel the gospel is a content driven message There's information that has to be understood. It's not a lifestyle. It's a message, and it's the message that Jesus died for our sins, rose from the dead. We're guilty. We have to repent of our sins, confess our sins, turn our lives over to him, make a commitment to him. That's content. That's not something that you pick up by
1: watching a person's lifestyle. So it's not just that you uh, make a statement, yes, I believe in Jesus. No, it's much more. It's
2: explaining what that statement is. I'll give you an example. Um, you know from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures, um, when Moses saw the burning bush, okay, there was a sign. There was a miraculous sign. And Moses said, I must turn aside. I must see what this means. So he went up there. So if he had just gone up there, if he just put two and two together and realized that this was a miraculous sign, would he have understood just from the miracle, just from the demonstration, just from the statement, you know, that God is there? No. Would he have understood just from that that he's supposed to go to Pharaoh, give, a, give an ultimatum, and deliver our people? No. You know, there was information.
1: He, got, he had to get the message from the word of the Lord.
2: Right. And he had to carry that message to Pharaoh. And that's what we have to do. You know, we've been called to be witnesses. What does a witness do? He testifies. You're a lawyer. A witness testifies. He speaks what he knows to be true. Um, So the reality, uh,
1: uh, Avi, is we don't witness, we testify.
0: Because a a
1: witness is one who has actually seen something or heard something. Mm
2: -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. But then once you have witnessed, then you testify. One of the problems that many Christians have is... They haven't witnessed anything, therefore they don't have anything to testify about.
2: Mm, that's a good point. That's a good point. Because if it just stays in their minds, it never really becomes something mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's real to them. Well, yeah. that's a great pity, isn't it? You're right. They don't have something <laughs> to testify of. It
1: takes a lawyer to understand some of these things.
2: <laughs> yes, I suppose it does. But that's what we're, you know, we're called to testify. We're called to state what we know is true. Um, I even take comfort in the fact that, that um, uh, you know a person in a court of law, when he gives testimony, does he want the people and the jury uh, to believe him? Sure. But is it really his responsibility to convince? No. That's the advocate's job.
1: That's correct.
2: His, his job is to state what he knows to be true, which is what John said, what we've seen, what we've handled, this we tell you. Okay, The advocate, the one who does the convincing, is the Lord? Is the Holy Spirit? And that's you know, why artist. the
1: gospel. That's why the word says that God is watching over His word to perform it. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. to perform it in that sense. We deliver the word. Then it's like we're divine process servers, and then He is watching over the word to accomplish its purposes.
2: Right. It really makes our job so much easier, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right. When, when we realize that that you know it, it's a it's a crucial responsibility but it's a limited responsibility. Uh, and well, that it takes just, a lot of pressure so off. Easy, so much pressure off of
1: us. So All much right. pressure. You, you say that your book is not a how-to book, but it's a why mm-hmm. book, and I like that. Uh, why we mustn't be ashamed of sharing the good news. Why the forthright presentation of the gospel message always produces a different different kinds of fruit. Why believers need to, uh, to find it uh Find it difficult to share their good news. Why un- non-believers uh, often choose to walk away from from the good news. Why mm-hmm. believers in the early centuries uh, felt compelled to proclaim his message. And yeah. so, the why issues, the why questions, are often ignored in uh, in the media, uh, in presentations, even in our ministries. We're so busy trying to educate people with who, what, uh, where, and when, but we don't want to get the why message out there, and one of the reasons is because that's where the responsibility comes, and if I don't understand the why, the rest of it means almost nothing.
2: Yeah, it's very true. And you know, there, there are many why questions, but um, for you, for me, for believers who are listening to this broadcast, um, the, per- perhaps the most important why about preaching the gospel really comes down to this. Um, We must preach the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the only hope for the world. Mm, And we are the the only people with a genuine word of hope. And that's the gospel. And to withhold that hope is not only wrong, it's it's shameful.
1: Yeah, well, it's shameful. And uh, to whom much is given, much more is required. So if we profess to be followers of the Lord, uh, then it becomes incumbent upon us as part of what that means uh, to be purveyors of the good news. And it's good news, uh, one of the biggest problems that we have, I think, is we we fail to understand the, the provocation of the good news because we're not willing to provoke people with the bad news alternative.
2: Right, right. And that's a pity, you know, I mean... It's- you know, if there was ever a, a, a provocateur in history, you know who it was? It was Jesus. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> everything he did was a provocation. You know, we, we, we have a, a kind of uh, 20th century Fox picture of Jesus, you know, mild-mannered, everything else. He was a walking provocation. You know, the way he taught was upset us. It wasn't the content. It was the manner in which he taught. He taught with authority, the authority that only God... Uh, had. You know, uh, what what provoked us was his miracles. Not the miracle itself, but the way he did it. Think of it. Who in Scripture takes clay and makes living tissue out of it? God. And that's exactly what he did in John chapter 9. He heals a man. You know, he could have just pronounced, you know, him uh, no longer blind, mm. but he spit on the ground, he made clay, he put it on the guy's eyes, and now the guy has, has living tissue. Well it's, that was like a it's, triple it's, offense. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Everything Jesus did was a provocation, and All right. we mustn't be afraid of, of provoking.
1: All right, so in reality, what we're talking about here today is becoming a, uh, a holy provocateur.
2: That's Amen. what God
1: is calling us to do, and, and, yes, and that's going to be the heading of our program here today. We are called to be holy provocateurs, uh, and that doesn't mean we're to- called to try to make people upset. Or to provoke right. them in that sense, but we're, we're to try to provoke them to righteousness. Uh, right. That's what the scripture says. We're to provoke them to righteousness because the world is unrighteous. So here it is, friends. This book is a simple book. Uh, it, it's only about 130 pages long. But here's the deal. If you grasp the implications of this book, it's written differently than other books concerning so-called evangelism. It really is. And you can hear the difference in our conversation, and you'll hear it even the more so as we continue on. If you want to truly be and become a gospel provocateur, if you really want to be that person in these end times, then I urge you to get a copy of the book. $14 is going to put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, that's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. We're discipling for destiny here today. That's what we're doing. We're leading and teaching and uh, uh, encouraging and even coaching to be and become the people, the true disciples that God wants us to be. And it's not just about evangelism as we conceive it. It's a much bigger challenge than that. And you're going to see how we're going to put the, take the pressure off because we don't need more pressure what we need is more provocation by the Holy Spirit so that you and I can become provocateurs for Jesus. So, silence is not golden, is it, Avi?
2: No, it isn't, especially especially if silence uh, allows the Beloved to die. You know, there are a lot of people who think that, uh, well, they're being silent out of respect, they're being silent out of love, um, but you know, if If you and I had a spouse, if we had a child, and that child was dying... We're going to have to pick up
1: on
0: that after this break. Hang in there, Avi. Okay. There is so much more about Chuck Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website. Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org.
1: Can you be a secret believer? Not according to the Bible. Our guest today here on Viewpoint, Avi Snyder, as we talk about becoming provocateurs for Jesus. Avi, I had to interrupt you there. Uh, were you able to retain your thoughts?
2: Sure. I simply wanted to, uh, to to stress the fact that um, believers in Jesus who think that um, being silent about the gospel is a statement of love, a gesture of love, a gesture of respect, are, are really very, very much mistaken. You know, uh, I'll speak in a very personal way for a moment. There, there are many sincere believers in Jesus who have a genuine, uh, deep love for my people, my Jewish people. Mm -hmm. But mistakenly, uh, because they love us, they say, well, I'm not going to offend them by telling them about Jesus. I'm not going to risk offending them or upsetting them by telling them the gospel. Uh, I'm just going to love them. Well, think of it like this. If, If the gospel, if Jesus is the only way of salvation, for everyone, as the Scripture teaches, for Jew and for Gentile alike, to withhold the only message of salvation from me, specifically because I'm Jewish, that's not a gesture of love. No, that's not a gesture of respect. That's a gesture of aggression. Wow. You know, uh, you could even you could even make the statement that it's an anti-Semitic gesture because it's, mm. it's, it's, it's promoting my destruction. I'm not saying the person who's silent is an anti-Semite. Right. What I'm saying is that the gesture of deliberately withholding the gospel from a Jewish person is an anti-Semitic statement. The, the gesture of withholding the gospel from any person is, is not an act of love or respect.
1: It's an act of aggression. All right, so let me ask you this question. Uh, there are those, uh, very prominent people, by the way, who and very prominent Christians who have been saying either outwardly or in effect that what we really need to do is come alongside uh, Israel and uh, support Israel and support the Jewish people politically. But uh, we should not be really uh, prevailing or provoking them with the gospel because that's offensive. Therefore, We're not going to do that. We're going to curry favor with them by showing them how much we love and support the nation of Israel. What say you? I say that that's
2: false. I say that it's a misguided and an inadequate and non-biblical love.
1: It sure gets a lot of attention, though it raises a lot of money.
2: Yeah, but I would also say that it's, uh, it's it's not really even born out of uh, misguided love or misguided respect it's born out of fear Mm-mm. it's born out of the fear of being rejected of giving offense uh, you know it's uh we need to be honest uh it gets back to what i said a moment ago the apostle peter a jewish man said to an entirely jewish audience the sanhedrin he said there's no name Given under heaven by which a man must be saved, except Yeshua, except Jesus. To withhold that from the very people for, uh, that, that Jesus came to save, and to say that's an act of love, it's a contradiction in terms. Mm. Just to stand beside me, just to support my cause, just to support my people, just to support Israel, and praise God for the Christians who do. <clears throat> But then to stop short of letting people know what motivates that love, what motivates that desire, an understanding, uh, of, uh, of who we Jews are and God's economy of things, that we have been called for a purpose to be a light to the nations to, you know, and, and to, to prevent us from hearing the message that will allow us to fulfill that call. It's absurd.
1: Yeah. It's do, not do you know it's not that not that, sa- that same uh, issue applies to what has happened over the past 40, 50 years in our country uh, by so called conservatives and evangelical Christians who decided it was more important to wage culture wars than to be spiritual provocateurs? And so what we looked for was people of commonality with regard to certain issues, whether it be abortion, whether it be homosexuality or whatever like that. And so we'd band together people of all different faiths, all different uh, groups to accomplish those things. But in the process, because we were so desirous of accomplishing those important but secondary agendas, we refused or failed to present the truth of the gospel. I've watched it happen from coast to coast.
2: We mustn't do that, because um, listen. Uh, I'm 71 years old. Jesus saved me 45 years ago. I've lived 45 years as a believer in Him. Um, if He didn't want me to proclaim who He is, He would have saved me and taken me home.
1: Mm. You know? Right?
2: <laughs> you know, but He didn't. He saved me and He left me here.
1: So you figure uh, it's a high calling. <laughs>
2: it's a very high calling it's an honor because you know ironically you know i know he really doesn't need us to do anything you know if he wanted to get the job done perfectly a lot, a lot more economically he wouldn't use any of us you know he would just say okay just sit over there you know and, and i'll take care well he
1: could sound another trumpet from sinai well, uh, but even that didn't get their attention at no. least, not ultimately. They still rejected it. So, yeah. <laughs> go figure. <laughs> All right, let's let's go to Russia and Ukraine. Uh, in okay. nineteen ninety, you were there yeah. uh, in Russia, so the Soviet okay. Union, actually, uh, mm-hmm. and you were actually in Red Square. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: I can. Um, my wife and I led a, a probe team of Jews for Jesus into the uh, into the Soviet Union when it was unraveling. Uh, because we had a hunch that uh, maybe the the Lord would be opening up a door. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, The first day that we got to Moscow, I was younger then. Maybe I was a little uh, rash, or I don't know. But um, we get to Moscow, and it's uh, Red Square, and there are about 1,000 people. I don't know if you've ever been there, if if you've ever seen photographs of Red Square, but uh, the centerpiece, of course, is is Lenin's mausoleum, Mm. his tomb. So there were about a thousand people dutifully lined up to go in in perfect silence
1: and one worship one. a dead man.
2: Right to go in and and to see his 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 uh, his corpse. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, man, they're they're here to see a dead redeemer. They need to hear about a living, a dead revolutionary. They need to hear about a living redeemer. So uh, I kissed my wife. I said, keep the other team members back for a moment. And uh, I took the tracks that we brought with us, and I started handing out uh, the tracks as the people were, were getting in line to see Lenin. Well, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. that took, <laughs> took some, some courage.
2: Minutes. Well, courage, foolishness. I don't know what it was, but uh, it, it turned out to be the right thing to do. As soon as I did that, I'm surrounded by these, these Soviet guards, and one of them grabs the literature out of my hands, and he, he barks at me in Russian. He says, which is, what is this? A colleague of mine comes running up and she answers in Russian. She says, that uh, which means it's good news. Read it, please. So <laughs> he reads it, right? He reads it and he smiles. And then he placed the five of us throughout Red Square so that we could hand up the literature more efficiently.
1: Isn't that amazing? Well, it was,
2: it was, you know, to this day, I don't know if he was really a Soviet guard or if he was an angel. You know, but, but, uh, you know, that we took that as a very, very clear cue.
1: All right. At that time, there there were many, there were, there were uh, several million uh, Jews still in Russia, even though many Mm -hmm. had already left as a result of the pogroms. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, what do you see having happened there? And what do you see happening now with regard to the Jewish people uh, as it relates to the Russian attack on Ukraine?
2: Well, um, the, the Jewish demographic of, of the Soviet Union, of the former Soviet Union, has, has gone through some real radical changes. Right. When we moved there in 91, uh, the, uh, the Jewish population was, was maybe still around 2 million, 2.5 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, um, in the early 90s, about 93 or so, Germany did something really remarkable. Germany did something really remarkable. Germany opened up its doors to any Jewish person from the collapsed Soviet Union as a a statement of reparation. They said, we want you to come back uh, and uh, we'll do whatever we can to help you. So as a result, uh, about 250,000 Jewish people from the former Soviet Union emigrated to, um, to Germany. And over the course of several years, 1.2 million Jewish people emigrated from the former Soviet Union to Israel. So that today, today only in the last few years, Israel now has the largest Jewish population of any country in the world. Up until right. about five years ago, the U.S. still had the largest.
1: Yeah, population. it's about seven million right now.
2: Um, in in, in Israel, Israel, I think it's about it's, yeah, it's about seven million in Israel, and uh, the U.S. It's, it's a little under six. Yeah. if, I, if yeah. I remember anyway
1: okay um, so you you spent time there in russia how about ukraine mm-hmm. well, because we there were a lot started, of jewish people in ukraine as well
2: yeah in fact more of them were in ukraine than in russia proper um and we actually started the work in odessa ukraine uh and after uh, the work got established there that's when we moved to uh into moscow to start the work there um Interestingly, today, as a result of uh, the war that's going on now, even more Jewish people have um, immigrated from Ukraine into Israel via Poland. I was, um, I was just there, both in Poland and in Ukraine, um, mm-hmm. a little while ago. And uh, I'll tell you a wonderful story. It's really a heartwarming story. Sure. Um, I was talking to a young man named Tolik. Tolik leads the work in Kiev. And uh, he was telling me uh, you know, the horror stories. He was telling me about uh, the people that he knew from Mariupol you know, who, who had died. He's telling me about the different atrocities. But then he changes his tone. And then he says, he starts telling me about uh, the, the Ukrainians who were raised in a very traditional, nominal, orthodox Christian right. uh, view. All right, I want you to
1: hold on to that thought uh, to be able to give it to us in full right after this break. Okay. Again, we're talking with Avi Snyder, his book, Never Ashamed Stories of Sharing Faith with Scoffers and Skeptics. $14 is going to put this
0: very encouraging book on our website, saveus.org. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? incredible but the same can be found right now go to saveus.org and click sell church we can revive first century christianity for the 21st century it's about people not programs it's about a body not a building that's saveus.org click sell church
1: sometimes we mistakenly talk about the need to make the gospel relevant The problem is that the gospel is so relevant that we really don't like the extent of its relevance, so we try to minimize it and try to make it more palatable. That's one of the problems, because we don't really want to be a provocateur for Jesus. We just want to be nice. Well, there's nothing wrong with being nice, but there's got to be something more than being nice. We have a purpose. We have a, a command, and that is to make disciples. Not to make converts, but to make disciples, teaching them to observe or obey everything that God has commanded. Our special guest today on Viewpoint, Avi Snyder, with his book, Never Ashamed. Avi, I caught you right as you were launching into the deep. Go for it.
2: <clears throat> well, I was talking about uh, a recent trip that I uh, I had both in Poland and and in Ukraine, and I was talking to uh, the man Tolik, who leads our work in Kiev. And after explaining all the horrors that were going on, he he told me about uh, the the Polish men and women who were giving their hearts to the real Jesus after being raised in a in a traditional nominal Catholic uh, culture. He talked about Ukrainians raised in an Orthodox Christian culture, mm-hmm. giving their hearts to the real Jesus. He told me about Jewish men and women giving their hearts to the Lord. He told me about uh, atheists coming to their teams and asking for prayer. And then he said something that really ought to be immortalized. It's one of the best sentences I've heard in modern times. He said, Avi, this is a bad time for Ukraine. This is a good time for the gospel.
1: Isn't that amazing? Because under pressure, people turn toward faith.
2: Exactly. Exactly. You know, the psalmist said, um, unto the hills I will lift up my eyes from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. But it takes, um, sadly, very often, it takes some kind of a crisis to stir us to the point where we realize we don't have the answers in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so we say, well, where does my help come from? And the answer, of course, is my help comes from the Lord maker of heaven and earth. doesn't come from me. doesn't come from my friends. doesn't come from my smarts. It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And oftentimes it just takes a crisis to bring us to that realization. So
1: out of this horrific experience, many people are so confused about it and it's being used for a variety of different political purposes and even to usher in a new world order. But out of all of this, God Himself has, uh, shall we say, a much bigger purpose and agenda. And He is bringing, first of all, He's bringing the Jews back to Israel, which He promised to do, back to Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. He said, I've given you an eternal leasehold here, and I'm going to fulfill that covenant, whether or not you fulfill mine. So He's doing that. Mm -hmm. Now He's saying, okay. I'm putting you under pressure, and I want you to see where your hope is. Your yeah. only hope is in Jesus' blood and in his righteousness. Sorry. So that's what we're seeing there. Now, I want to, you and I could talk for a very long time about these things, and you're such an easy conversationalist here, and I appreciate it. But well, you have, okay. <laughs> you, you talk about the fruit of faith, and the, yeah. the fruit of uh, actually becoming a provocateur for Jesus, of getting out there and truly using our words, the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts, to communicate the good news. Mm -hmm. And you also revive our remembrance that God's word never returns void. Mm -hmm. The problem is we have our own expectations as to what, that fruit must look like and how much fruit there must be in order for us to have been faithful. And I think that's where one of the big problems is. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. So we must deliver that. So given that, let's talk about the fruit of our work. One of the things that you say, and and this sets your book aside from almost every other book concerning evangelism or concerning the presentation of the good news, and that is you say that one of the principal fruits of, say, purveying the gospel is division. Yeah. How so? Let's talk about that.
2: Oh, thank you so much for, for, for raising that issue. I love. Well, it's not
1: designed to sell books, but it is well, designed to tell the truth, and this is one of the reasons why people are afraid. Yeah. Okay, They're let's go for of
2: it. Offending. They're afraid of, of, uh, of bringing division. It is one of the principal uh, fruits, and it, it is a fruit. Anywhere you look in the Scripture, wherever you see uh, God's message effectively proclaimed, whenever... The gospel is is clearly proclaimed and clearly understood. Um, yes, there's the fruit of saving faith, but there is always also the fruit of biblical division. I think it's why Jesus said, uh, he said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Now, he's not talking about a literal sword, of course. He's talking about the sword of division. He's right. talking about the sword of of forcing people to choose because... The clear presentation of the gospel will, uh, will deny us the option of neutrality. Once we've heard the gospel message, we can't be neutral. Right. We can pretend to be neutral, but we really have to take a stand. Choosing not to deal with it is a stand.
1: You know, we've been on the um, air here for 27 years, uh, confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. And early on mm-hmm. during this uh, broadcast, years ago, one of our listeners made this statement in writing. He said, you cannot listen to viewpoint long and not be changed. Mm-hmm. What he was really saying is you have to choose. Mm-hmm. You have to choose.
2: Right, right. And Jesus forces us to choose. Joshua, uh, at the end of the book, you know, he says, choose. <laughs> you know? right. he says, choose. Choose you this day who you will serve. Um, we have to choose and you know I'd like to make a related comment because you, you you've mentioned so many times some of it I believe very very much you know that that we're called to be provocateurs right um, we don't we don't have to worry or seek to be um, to be offensive being a provocateur is not the same as being offensive In like one of the reasons one of the reasons that we're commanded to preach the gospel in love and compassion clarity but love and compassion is because the message itself is the provocation. Exactly. When you understand the message, you're provoked. You know, that's why it gives us the freedom to be loving, because the message itself is so coming. It doesn't need any additional sharpening from us.
1: You're a sinner, and uh, there's a judgment coming, and uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And right. uh, so... I mean, just in that simple statement, you have provocation. You have okay. to choose. You, if, if you don't agree that you're under judgment without forgiveness, then you become your own savior. Right. Can I
2: tell you a story related to Go that? Go for it. Um, years ago, uh, when we still lived in the States, uh, I was on the campus at UCLA, and I was talking to a young Jewish man. I think his name was Billy, so long ago. Anyway, Um we were talking, and uh, I explained the gospel to him. We had a nice conversation. And after I'd explained uh, and showed him some scripture, he looks at me, and he says, not in an angry voice at all, but, you know, he just looks at me very straight. He says, you know, now let me, let me make sure I understand this. Topic. What you're saying to me, essentially, is that if I don't repent of my sins, and believe in Yeshua, and Jesus, then when I die, I'm going to hell. That's what you're saying, right? And I said, well, essentially, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And he says, that's got to be the most offensive message I've ever heard in my life. And I smiled. I said, I know. <laughs>
1: and, and I that's said, what the apostle said. He called it the offense <laughs> of the gospel. <laughs>
2: exactly. And then I said, I said, but the issue for you and me isn't whether or not it's offensive. The issue is whether or not it's true. And I said, are you willing to find out if it's true? I said, if it's a lie, you've got my permission to hate me for as long as you remember. But are you willing to find out if it's true?
1: Well, that was a, a very wise way of presenting that. It reminds me years ago of listening to Billy Graham on Larry King Live. Larry King, a Jew, uh, asked Billy Graham to his face on live television, are you saying that I'm going to hell if I don't believe did, in Jesus?
2: How did he answer? I don't, Billy I, I don't Graham yeah.
1: refused to answer the question directly.
2: Oh,
1: golly. He refused. Oh goodness! He didn't even say, well, that's what the Bible says. I'm not saying it, but that's what the Bible... He didn't even say that. I was yep. so, so troubled, yeah. that it here's is troubled. a man that for all his life had been saying, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, but when it came the moment of truth to a man who was actually asking him, a Jewish man, he couldn't tell him the truth.
2: Hmm. Well, now, I'll kind balance that with something. I remember uh, I was listening to a radio broadcast um, some years ago, um, and I was just listening to it. It was a call-in show, but I was just listening. And uh, it was uh, it was not a Christian program, uh, but they had a um, a missionary on. And um, at one point, a caller called in, and he was a Jewish man, and he raised that question. You know, and he said in a very direct, and very blunt way, he said, "Do you mean to say that if I don't believe in you, Jesus, that when I die, I'm going to go to hell?" and the the christian uh, on the radio program gave such a wonderful answer he said in a very compassionate urgent voice he said yes that's what i'm saying that's why it's so important for you to listen to me there was no shame
0: uh-huh. there was
2: no embarrassment there was no apology it was, yeah. it was like a doctor pleading with a person who has cancer but who possesses the cure to that cancer Why should he, why would he be ashamed of that? We mustn't be ashamed.
1: Well, one of the main reasons why uh, people, and and you have, uh, what is it, five different uh, reasons why people, yeah, five fears that shut our mouths Mm
2: -hmm, uh, mm -hmm.
1: concerning the fear of abandonment. uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we're afraid, well, God won't really be with me uh, when I'm doing this. I'm just all on my own. That's one. The fear of physical harm, that can Mm -hmm. sometimes be real, sometimes not. Uh, Mm -hmm. It depends on the environment. Then the fear of failure Mm -hmm. or fruitless labors, I think that's a pretty big one. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that, uh, that that God hasn't promised us that everybody or even the majority of people are going to follow or going to listen. They didn't listen to Jesus they didn't listen to the apostles, and they're not going to listen to us. And that's why we have to redefine our understanding of failure. Exactly, exactly. Then we have the fear of incompetence, that we're really not mm-hmm. ready. Well, wait a right. minute. You're not ready to tell people about the good news of Jesus? Did he save you? Has he has He forgiven your sin? How? What does that do for you? What is that? I mean, it's the simplicity of it. It's not about yes. uh, some sort of a theological uh, workup that you're trying right. to do, but the big one, I think, is the fear of rejection. Why is that? Yes.
2: Well, it's because um, we fear what people will think of us. Okay, I think uh, a lot of it actually stems this fear of rejection that we carry with us. I I think there's a spiritual root to it because root to it because you know. By nature, we are rejected. Because of the fall, we're rejected by God. We're born physically alive, mm-hmm. but, but, but spiritually rejected, spiritually cut off. Uh, the tragedy is that we spend our lives trying to be accepted by people rather than trying to be uh, received by the Lord. Okay,
1: the well, that is a good way to finish up here because even the Sanhedrin in Jesus' day. Love the praises of men more than the praises of God. And we're in danger of the same thing today from pulpit to pew. And I appreciate so much, Avi, what uh, you have shared in your book, Never Ashamed. Friends, we cannot be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and then also to the Greek or Gentile. Get a copy of the book, $14 will encourage your heart. To be and become well, provocative of Jesus. Get it at our website, saveus.org. Give us a call. 1 800 SAVE USA.
0: You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our
1: listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.